This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show after the weekend's events in which Arsenal, of course, drew 0-0 with Brighton to derail the momentum that had been building towards top four and all of that fun that we now have nothing to look forward to for the rest of the season because it's done, it's finished, it's over. If the reaction on Twitter told you anything, it tells you that, yes, that the worst day has happened and unfortunately we've lost all of that. So we're going to get into all that and more with a couple of guests today for the show. First of all, it's good to have him back on the show. It's Owen. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good. I'm good, buddy. But I never realised the reaction to the match was that oh, bad. And yes. do you want to know what? <laughs> do you want to know something? Normally, I'm the negative Nelly that comes onto the show. And for once, I think mm. I might actually have quite a positive stance on this result um, in comparison good. to some of the people that you've been talking about. <laughs> Good, yes. And maybe it's just my feeds. Maybe that's just what I'm influenced by. Maybe <laughs> our next guest can, can give us some perspective on that as well. Sophie, how are you doing? Are you well? I'm very well, lads. How are you? This fine fun, a fine Monday. Technology just causing havoc everywhere today. Mm, yes, this was supposed to be at the earlier time of 6.30, but StreamYards decided to go down in the day that Facebook <laughs> and WhatsApp and Instagram, Mr. Zuckerberg has, has just pressed the big red button, it seems, on all of his ventures, which is fair enough. I mean, if you feel like it and you've got a big red button, sometimes it's just too tempting you've got to press it. But... Uh, <laughs> What, which is a bit like Arsenal Twitter uh, after the Brighton game, it seemed. Certainly some people pressed, uh, pressed the big red button. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about that and the reaction to it. But first of all, we're going to talk about the game. And uh, we need the help of you guys in the chat box, of course. So please, if you haven't already, drop a like on today's video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Sophie, we'll start with you. How did you feel? What are your reactions for the first kind of, you know, how you felt after the game? Um. Well, I... I don't understand why the sky was falling after this particular game, to be honest. And as you know, I've been a, a critic of Arteta and um, and questioned a lot of you know what his uh, what his uh, tenure so far as manager has been in the Premier League. But I think 
what we tend to forget is where we're at as a club. So when you play a team like Brighton, who, whether we like it or not, are a little bit better than us right now. And you could argue perhaps they're better coached than us right now. Um, so I think the alarming thing for me was don't blame the weather because Brighton had to play in the, way, the, the wind and the rain as well. So that was a bit annoying, if anything. Secondly, they didn't have Basuma, and that was kind of alarming in terms of how we handled that midfield in particular, um, knowing that he's such a good player and they still got the better of us possession-wise and overall kind of controlling the ball. They were good on and off the ball. Um, so that was a, a glaring thing for me. Aubameyang reverting back to type um, that we've known over the last year. And the most annoying thing with Arteta for me is this isn't, you know, a game where you start screaming for a change in manager, but you are screaming for a change in strategy during the match. And that's my biggest beef with him is how does he adapt? We've seen him do it on a couple of occasions and do it quite well. But it still seems like he's unable to adapt in a game. Like when we were getting killed on Tierney's side against Chelsea, he didn't do anything to adapt to protect the players. So for me, those were the glaring issues. But getting a, a point away from home against a team that's better than you right now and better coached than you, going into an international break, I would say we got lucky and I'll take the point. I do tend to agree. Um, I, I, I titled the video, is it a point gained or two points lost? And I do lean towards more the point gained, a lot of reasons to do with the performance. Uh, Owen, raw reactions to the nil-nil result? Um, pretty conflicted, I would say that. Um, it's disappointing in regards to what we saw against Tottenham Hotspurs, what we saw that this team is capable of. And I understand that people, I'll put forth the caveat of, Spurs are awful and that was a very bad side and a mismanaged Spurs side, all of that stuff, throw it in there. But there are certain things that you can control within a football game. A few things that you can control within a football game. Stuff like work rate, stuff like press and stuff like attitude and application are all things well within your control. And it was polar opposites um, from what we've seen in the Spurs game. Um, there was a lot of talk about Martin Odegaard's performance, which we can dive into more, more deeply a bit later on, obviously. But I, I absolutely urge everybody to go back and watch the opening 15 minutes of that game and that kid was pressing relentlessly and Pierre-Emerick mm -hmm. Aubameyang just wasn't taking the signals or the cues that, that Martin Odegaard was trying, to, was trying to give him. Neither was very many other players, to be perfectly honest with you. But given the circumstances of the game, how the game was played, which I thought Brighton were absolutely fantastic, I think there was some systemic issues Um that Arsenal had that they didn't uh, rectify during the game, as Sophie mentioned, just things that could, could 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 have easily been rectified. I feel that there was too many like-for-like -like changes throughout that game and not a systemic change that, that would have benefited us. But um, mm. look, after the, the Spurs game, I was very, very, very much off the, the Arteta train. And I'm not necessarily back on it. The way I described after the Spurs game, following Norwich and Burnley, was that I, I would give Mikel Arteta a stay of execution <laughs> uh, uh, until Christmas um, mm. uh, and for me people call you flip-flop or whatever my, my my opinion changes when the landscape changes that's just the way it is and for me I wouldn't say I'm back on the trust the process train but I, I'm, I'm definitely I'm oh, don't call it that <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah throw that into the chat hashtag trust the process train <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to reserve any more judgment until until Christmas for me and um, but again, 
it was definitely a point gained, but disappointing and predictable because it's seemingly Arsenal. And I think this could be a problem, and I know I'm going off here a little bit. That's Does right. Mikel Arteta and Arsenal build up too much to these big games? You know, like, I, I, I'm not sure whether people follow boxing, but um, Tyson Fury talked about after winning the world titles against Vladimir Klitschko that his entire life was based around becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. And Vladimir Klitschko was this absolutely monumental figure for him to overcome. And when he did that, he got this little bit of a dump, which may obviously put him on the path down to, you know, having problems with alcohol and drugs and depression and stuff because he had worked his whole life to get to this moment and now it was over. And what I'm trying to get at here is, are Arsenal building up that this is a do or die moment too much so that there's an adrenaline dump the next week and nothing can seem to match up to these big fixtures? And is that something mm-hmm. that maybe Mikel Arteta needs to start to understate a little more so than, than pushing across these big moment uh, matches j- during sort of these important parts of the season? So. I think that we've stopped keeping it simple in some ways. And I think Owen brings up a really good point in that there are so many expectations and the time, the timing, there is no time, right? So everything is now, it's an instant gratification world that we live in, let alone football. So results are important now and they have to be because when you look at, um, you know, his record in the Premier League, it's not great. And so people who keep saying, um, you know, uh, give him time, give him time. Well, he's had, it's coming up to 20 months of time. Um, th- the argument I think that is valid on that side is that give him time with his team. Now, this is truly his squad and his team. So I've always been of the notion that he gets until October or November to to show what he can do. If we're in the same position come October and November, you have to start asking questions about whether or not he's the right man for the job, given that he now has a squad that is of his players and his liking. And I'm in agreement with Owen. This whole flip-flop thing is so annoying. Just stop, everybody. We base our comments on what we see. And I saw someone in chat say, well, Tom predicted 4-0. Oh, to be fair, that's (laughs) Lev. That's only Lev. Ignore him. (laughs) Okay, all right. But I I actually predicted 4-1. I thought that Mm. we would carry on rolling from the Spurs game because you know why we haven't done that enough over the last few seasons consistency is key can you build on what you create can you ride the momentum can you ride that wave can you have a team of players and keep them engaged for 38 games across the Premier League and if we just can't string two or three wins together or two or three performances together then I think every fan is well within their rights to ask questions about the style of this team, how this team is training week in, week out, how it's managed in-game and uh, and after matches as well and what the expectations are. So for me, I just, I just think that, can we just be consistent? That's it. Why can't we be consistent? We were terrible on, sat- on, on Saturday. It was yeah. not a good game. It really wasn't. And you even, when you, I just don't like seeing players like Udegaard regress because... Owen brings another great point. You know what he is? He's smarter than everybody else. He thinks two Mm. steps ahead. He's always ahead of the game. And it's tough to play with a player like that because not everybody has his football intelligence. And once again, we're relying on Saka and Smith-Rowe to bail us out and help us out when you really want Aubameyang and Partey showing up and Udegaard as well. And to be fair, I thought our defence were fantastic at the weekend. And I think that, you know, that was the one consistency um, that, that, we've, that we've seen so far in this Arteta's, in, in Arteta's new squad. 
I think there's a lot of positives to take from the performance as well. I think you look towards the defence and how they remain so rigid. And I think Ramsdale's, I think arguably it was Ramsdale's worst game, which actually I think says more about kind of how good he has been. I think from a goalkeeping standpoint, he was really good. It was actually his distribution that I thought was a little bit off. He went long too much. I was in the chat with uh, Kai Kainak from Football London earlier on on the Arsenal way. And, and he brought up that point about how he felt that Ramsdale went too long too many times when there were maybe shorter option or like you know, those close options that he could have used more often. I think Brighton dealt really well with trapping Ben White at times and stopping Ben White from playing out. Less so on the left-hand side, but our right-hand side with Tommy Yasu in particular because of Mark Kukurea was was so locked down. I mean, the Spaniard was excellent for the entire game. And that that's the issue for me, Owen, is that we didn't react. We didn't the, the coach didn't react. We'd made like for like changes with subs. Erdogan came off of Pepe, so it didn't change anything because Smith Rowe just went to 10 and Pepe went on the left. We took off a Bamiang for Lacazette as a like for like change of the striker. I know they're characteristically different, but it doesn't change how you get the ball up to the striker. It doesn't change how much of the possession you have. It doesn't change the way you combat the opposition's kind of grasp on the game. And at the end, we obviously, with a few minutes to go, brought on Maitland Niles, which at that point you don't really have any it's not going to have too much of a bearing on things. It just annoys me that against both Chelsea and now Brighton, Owen, that we've gone up against the back three and both times, despite those systems being slightly different, the wing-back systems have really hurt us with the back four and we've not reacted. We've not matched them. And if you remember back to kind of the, the FA Cup run when we were playing that 3-4-3, that's when we were really successful against Manchester City and mm. Chelsea, who mm. Chelsea again played the back three again in that game as well. Does it, does it frustrate you? Is it concern you that Arteta is being kind of Arsene Wenger-esque with the loyalty to what he starts out with in games and that he's not necessarily reacting and changing what he's doing? It, it does slightly concern me, yeah, because uh, at half time, I think that everybody could see that the change that was needed was to to take somebody off, maybe maybe Martin Odegaard, maybe Sambi Laconga, somebody like that, and um, bring somebody on like Ainsley Maitland-Niles or, or, or Cedric and, and go to a back three, a back five, whatever you want to call it. And, and what frustrates me is that <clears throat> something that we've heard a lot of is about the the versatility of of Tommy Asu, about his ability not only to play as a right back but in a back three, and how successful Ben White has proven to be playing that system too. So he had the players at his disposal to make a seam sort of seamless transition into that their system, um, and I think that would have made a massive difference because you talk about systemically, people have a lot of criticism to direct at, at Sambi Lakonga and Thomas Partey, and I think the system was to blame slightly for that too because. Uh, forgive me, what was the left-back for Brighton's name? Uh, Kukurea. yeah. had us absolutely ran ragged and, and, and that was just because they were overloading us in the wide areas, which inevitably was making um, Partey and, and, and Tommy Asu get sucked wide and leaving too much space in the midfield as well. So it was a sort of lose-lose situation. Mm. A thing for me as well that I would criticise Arteta, and, and, and I don't know whether anybody else has spotted this, and look, I could be wrong when I'm saying this, but from a tactical point, uh, I think what didn't help Tommy Asu as well is Kieran Tierney has been given this sort of new position of left wing, where there's much, <laughs> there, there, there's much more emphasis on getting him high and wide all the time. Whereas I think... 
part of Kieran Tierney's best work comes from when he receives the ball deep, quick one too, and he bursts with pace and that work rate to get up that up that pitch. I'm not sure he has the same effect when his starting position is so high. And also what that does to, to our defenders, and, and part of the reason Tommy Asu suits the system so much is because Kieran Tierney does play so high. But that means Gabriel has to go left. It means Ben White has to be sucked in towards the middle. And it means Tommy Asu has to come slightly deep. So there's much more space between Ben White and Tommy Asu, which leaves him so much more exposed and vulnerable when Kieran Tierney is so far up. So I think that that was something simple that we could have done to rectify that, was just tell Kieran Tierney to, to hold his base. Remember, you're a left back, you're a defender first, not, a, not an attacker first. Um, and I think that... Whilst Tommy Asu definitely didn't instill confidence in that game, he's been very good so far, but I think Arteta's system didn't do a lot to help or support him either. I look at kind of this, all of the systems that were implemented against Brighton, and I think, right, everything that worked against Spurs, we hoped would go into that game against Brighton and we could just translate that seamlessly into the next fixture. When... And you can do that if you're good enough. If your team is good enough, you can focus on yourself. You can focus on your system. You can focus on having the quality that you know is going to blow away any side. Manchester City do it quite a lot because they've got good enough players. Liverpool did it for their entirety of their Premier League winning season because they have the quality players and consistent enough players that they can do it. But when you're Arsenal and you're still kind of you know finding your feet and working out what your best team is and working out who's going to play where and, and who's got integrating new signings of which we have six to try and get into the team as much as we can, it's going to take more time. And so you can't really go from going in a North London derby at home to Spurs that you've then dominated and expect to just play the exact same game, especially without one of your key figures like Granite Xhaka bringing in Sambi Lakonga, who is a completely different style of central midfielder and expect it's going to go the same way. So then my frustration is that by not changing it and not recognising that something's not working early enough to then say, look, it's not working, guys, at half time. Sambi, I'm taking you off. We're going to bring Pepe or Martinelli on. We're going to go back to a 4-3-3 or we can go to take, uh, again, bring Lakonga off or bring Smithrow off or bring Erdogan off, bring Maitland-Niles on and go to a 3-4-3 and try and combat. But it, it's just that reluctance to break away from the kind of the investment I suppose is put into that starting lineup and the investment in those players that, that really kind of held us back. I mean, there was an interesting question from Lev in the chat, uh, offering something constructive, which is great to see Lev. Uh, <laughs> says, question for Sophie, what do you think of the role of Sambi was asked to play? Did it leave Partey isolated? At times we've seen Thomas Partey almost play like a one-man show in the Arsenal midfield. And then we want to be critical of him when he's not always like the Rolls-Royce that we know he can be. And he's definitely been, and we're seeing more of the Atletico Madrid Thomas Partey so far this season. And I think once he's, you know, totally injury-free, he's going to be one of those players that becomes and is right now so fundamentally important. But you also can't set your players up to fail, right? And knowing that there was no Xhaka in this side, you also don't want to to throw in your new players and um, and not set them set them up right. That issue in midfield is exactly what Owen was saying. It left Tomiyasu and Tierney so overloaded. We had no control of the ball, and we were terrible off the ball. We couldn't retain possession. When we did have possession, we were so poor with the ball in the final third. Our second touches were awful. 
I thought Sambi improved, to be fair for him, as the second half went on. I didn't want to see him subbed at halftime, if I'm being honest, because I didn't want him to have that confidence killer being mm. pulled off at halftime. I was thinking, give him 10 minutes in the second half, and if you're seeing similar, then change it. I would have brought on Maitland-Niles to have a bit more control in that midfield, to be more of a general, to help Thomas Party move a little bit more freely, as we've seen him do, and he's so effective when he does that. Um, so I felt like the midfield was totally where everything broke down. And unfortunately for us, once that happens, we're it's an onslaught. And it, and it feels like, you know, at times, I may have said this on your show before, it's like Jon Snow in the, in the Battle of the Bees, you know, in, in, um, in Game of Thrones, where he's standing there like lone man with a sword and everyone's coming at him and you just hope for the best but fear the worst. So I don't want to kill Sambi for the performance at the weekend. And mm. I do think that these are the times where um, Arteta has to be culpable because what is his plan B? When sometimes fans don't even think he has a plan A, what is his plan B? And why is he so afraid to execute a plan B? Does he not trust the players on the bench? Didn't Martinelli deserve a shot to come out in a game like that in the rain to maybe try and cause problems with pace on the left-hand side, perhaps? I don't know. I just don't. Un I don't understand where his trust values are with certain players, um, and I think as the season goes on, he's going to need to m m bring these players in, you guys, because he can't keep to this team. He's like, this is the squad. This is our. This is our best eleven. But you have to have a bigger and grander plan than just that eleven. Um, when when you do go from game to game, and I agree with you that not every game is the same, but he needs to be more adaptable. I mean, I'm, not sure big... oh, sorry, I'm not sure if that even answered the Sambi question, but again, you know, Tommy Yasu can't kill him. Welcome to the Premier League, son. Mm. You know, it's not going to be easy. Sambi, welcome. Ramsdale's different. I think, you know, he has an understanding of the game he's played here, um, being English as well and played for the teams that he has. So I think we've got to cut him some slack a little bit. If you're going to cut Arteta slack after 20 months, give Tommy and Sambi a bit of a pass. Uh, yeah, I do get. I do give him a pass. I think it's his first game. I don't think he'd even expected to be playing this many Premier League games when he came in. It's been kind of thrust upon him with with Partey's injury, then Xhaka's suspension, and now Xhaka's injury. I don't think we ever expected him to be playing this much. He's a fifteen million pound, twenty one year old, uh, very much built for the future, and I thought brought in to basically be Thomas Partey's backup and insurance because Partey suffered with so many injuries. Lekonga has a lot of the, a lot of similar traits as him, very mobile, very physical, can play a pass in behind, can dribble with the ball, all the attributes that we associate with Partey. And so when he's being brought in to play alongside him, it's very it's a very different dynamic than having a, a Granite Xhaka style player next to him. And that was kind of one of the mm. big things, Owen, was was the loss of Xhaka and the debates that when went on on social media and in YouTube chat boxes. Did we miss him? Did we not miss him? I think for me, we did. I think we missed just his left foot, if anything, on the left-hand side of the midfield, playing that ball out to the likes of Kieran Tierney and Emil Smith-Rowe. I thought we missed that control in the midfield. And there is part of me that really thinks that if, if your performance like that isn't enough to say anything about possibly missing something, I think it's probably a lost cause <laughs> in terms of a debate. But what, how did you see it? Yeah, well... I actually put out a, a bit of a thread on on, on Twitter um, when when before the North London Derby, you know, when mm. it was being rumoured that that he was that he was being tipped to start that game, and I, I my point was that my issue issue wasn't with his playing ability on the pitch. My issue is with um, getting stuck in this 
Jacques writ, and 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 what I mean by that is I think that there's a natural hierarchy in any place at all. When there's a collective of people, whether it be the workplace or a football team or anywhere at all, there's leaders, and there's only so many positions for leaders naturally. Mm. You know, you can't have ten leaders in a group of ten people. It just doesn't work like that. And for me, what it is is it's blocking the path of the the personal development of people like Kieran Tierney and Martin Odegaard and Gabrielle and. Because once the absence of Jack is felt, someone will naturally grow into those positions of leadership. And, and I think it encourages growth into those positions. But I will say this, the North London Derby completely proved that point wrong. It completely proved that point wrong. Say what you want about his ability, but I think that when you see the aura that Granite Jacket portrays while on the pitch in an Arsenal jersey, he instills confidence in a lot of those youngsters. And a lot of them turn to him as their, as their leader. So for me, he definitely, definitely was missed in that aspect. Now, what I will say is is that my biggest problem with Granite Jack is he has a game like the North London Derby, but it's a resurgence game. And, mm. and my problem with that is there has to be some sort of controversial incident for there to be a resurgence. And and is that too costly in the long run? You know, um, And then now with this injury as well, you have to look and think, come January... Is is he going to come back the same? He's not the most mobile player in the world, so will it really affect him as much as it would, say, Hector Bellerin? I'm not sure it will, but mm. look, I, I think I think this could maybe be the anonymous thing of uh, the anonymous stance of Arsenal fans around the Granite Jacket situation. He's a decent player, but he's kind of an asshole too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. The problem is, is with Granite, Granite Xhaka and that, what you've said there, and is it something that I think a lot of people share is because some people can't really get over the whole telling the fan base to F off at Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. I, I separate them because I always say that, look, if it was me, my other half of my unborn child getting dog's abuse online for days upon days upon days, I think I'd probably snap if I was no, getting booed during right. my home performance. It's something that I've often criticised. Is like you have a bunch of fully grown adults in their let's say 18 to 50 or 60 whatever mm. age throwing mm. rude gestures and shouting swear words and personal insults at a guy and then he throws up two fingers and and, and all of a sudden you're offended by that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's also the recognition that if you're not one of those people that ever sent some abuse then you should have the maturity to realize in my view that he's not aiming that at you like he's not aiming oh, yeah. that it's very but much see, aimed towards I, I, I think as well, and sorry to jump in, I think this is the big difference. And, and what you're saying here, I think especially from from myself and Sophie, who are, who are very often aligned in our stances around most things, I think we have a pretty similar temperament. But we're hearing these so words... Like, no, we're, no, we're not. No, we're, not. <laughs> <laughs> we're hearing these words for two years now or whatever, that uh, trust the process and the project and, and we need the supporters with us and to buy in. But... The one thing I'll say is that you can't ask a, a fan base to buy into something as a collective just for the sake of buying into it. It has mm. to be relatable, relatable, it has to be likable, and people have to feel connected to it. And I think yeah. now with players like Aaron Ramsdale being the spearhead of that, Kieran Tierney, Martin Odegaard, Ben White, Tommy Asu, all these players, there's something very, very likable about this group of players that we are building. Emile Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka will be thrown into that too, absolutely. And I think now what you're saying is that, okay, Martin Odegaard had a bad game, but his work rate last week gave him 
that breathing space to have a game like that. Aaron Ramsdale almost made a bit of a mess up and with poor conditions. He he has the breathing room now to make a mistake like that because mm. of what he's done and because of the way that he carries himself and the honesty that he speaks with. And I think what I have realised now is that I always used to look at footballers just as like a, a physical asset, somebody who you can send out um, to produce a statistical output to help us achieve a better position in the league. And that's far from the truth. I actually would split it now as it's 70% ability and 30% likability. Um, for me, mm. you have you have to like somebody. And if there has ever been a player more so to show us that than Aaron Ramsdale, I'd be shocked because the abuse that, that man got coming into this club and he still went out with a smile on his face cheering with the fans. Um, and he's just, I think he's brought a, a likability and a lovability back to Arsenal Football Club again. I think he's a breath of fresh air. I think he's, um, I've said for a long time that we've had a very unlikable team for quite a few seasons. There've been some likability factors in that team, but it's been hard to get behind certain players when they show so much apathy. So I don't mind Udegaard having an off game. If I see him fighting on the pitch and trying his best, there's a big difference between having a bad game and being apathetic and having a bad game, but giving it everything and that you try to give, give it everything. It was hard to get behind players like Mustafi, Ozil towards the end, Kalasinac, um, Bellerin even, who's been superb, you know, and fabulous humanitarian off the pitch. And I applaud everything that he does, but on the pitch, very difficult to get behind. And how many chances were they given over and over again, you know, to put the shirt on perform and it just never came or clicked. And it, it felt like they really didn't care after a period of time. And so when you have a player like Ramsdale who can come in and be the way he is, considering the abuse he got, is really quite unreal. But he's also joined the club that he has, you know, shown complete love for, you know, and, and, and I think he sees an opportunity. We've said on our show, there's an opportunity for some of these players to come in and be real heroes, to really solidify themselves, maybe not as a legend, you know, we're, we're, we're a long, long way from that, but you can be a cult hero, you mm. know, in, that's what the North London derby does. You know, that's what that game did. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka are cult heroes right now. They're lovable. And they're the ones that the springboard for this new kind of connectivity with uh, player and fan. And we haven't had that in a really, really long time. And Xhaka, has there been a more polarizing player um, since Ozil and maybe even in the Premier League? I think I stood by him for a long, long time and supported him. And I agree with you, Owen and uh, and and Tom, that the abuse that he was getting and his family were getting was disgusting. Um, but you, certain players can come back from things, but mm. for some reason he can't. Right? There's just a disc. Some fans are unforgiving where he's concerned. He's that polarizing. But what he does provide is something I think that people are a little remiss on in the sense that in this particular Arsenal team, in this particular side, he is one of the best things that we have to offer in midfield. Hmm. Now, can he get into any top 10 team in the league? I don't know. Probably not. But in this particular Arsenal team at this time, he offers something. That's not where we want to be as a club, but that's just the truth. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for so many fans because they consider him, oh, he's not that good. Well, in this team, he actually is decent. And and mm. I think that's where you have to kind of separate the two. I'm not saying he can get into Liverpool's team or City or Chelsea or even Everton right now, 
but he can get into this team and he can be effective because of what the manager wants to do with this team. That's the difference with Xhaka, I think. I, I look at him and I go, I, I just I just need you to show those performances that we saw in the North London derby as much as possible. And if you show those performances, I don't have any criticisms because you're so influential. And it is that consistency. They, why why can't they? Because uh, someone said, well, when I said we need to be consistent and someone said, mm. well, we've won three and drawn one. No, it's it, it's about performances too now, right? Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Because eventually we got lucky against Brighton. That wasn't a consistent performance, but mm. we got lucky getting that point. Their finishing was horrific in that match. 22 shots, two on yeah. target. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was awful. So we got away with one there. And, and eventually you got to just play better than that. Very similar to United right now. Our stories are so similar in the sense that you've got two ex-players who've come back Ole, you could argue, has improved them in the league, got them into second. But there's just at some point when you have inexperienced managers and you've got these certain players and you're expecting the manager to have that little bit of an X factor to push it in a new, in a, in a, in a more positive direction, that's where it becomes tricky for managers like Solskjaer and Arteta. And it was mm -hmm. for Lampard as well. Absolutely. I I think that when it comes to this season, performance is the only thing that Arsenal fans are going to see their minds change around Arteta. If, if you are of the mindset that says a change of coach is probably the right decision right now. And that's what I've been asking for. I think I know, Sophie, that's what you've been saying is mm -hmm. that I just need to see a style. I need to see something I can get behind, something I can champion. Like, that's what I want to see from this Arsenal side. And results is great. And results will get you so far. But the performances that goes with them is what will keep those results going in the long term. Results like we saw against Burnley, the 1-0 win from a free kick. like You can't bank on those types of wins because a free kick from outside the box to win you a game is something that happens once or twice a season, if that. And mm -hmm. that that's not something I can get behind. The, the Brighton result, I can get behind how defensive, defensively solid we was. I can't get behind that we didn't react to how dominant Brighton were. The North London derby for all of our positivity, and there was a lot, a hell of a lot, we're not going to come up against many sides this season that were as dreadful as Spurs were on, on that in that North London derby. I know that people don't want to detract away from how good our performances, and I don't, but it's the truth, is that we aren't going to come up against sides that play as badly as that, and that's going to be a problem for us going forward. But we forwards. still had to beat them, Tom, to be fair. Absolutely. Still, you know, just a few, three games prior to that, they were top of the league and winning the the mm. the you know the premier league in august and everyone was lauding them and saying son is the new don you know at top <laughs> i mean it, it, it yeah. works both ways a little bit too i i i have to i have to say on on that front but why is yeah. abamyang inconsistent why is abamyang not performing every week why are we not playing to his strengths if he's our best player and he's our captain why why does udegaard blow hot and cold why are why is Pepe, you know, on the bench when clearly he could come on earlier and affect the game? Because whether you like him or not, he's easy on the eye. He does create chances and he creates issues for the other team. Now he's predictably predictable as well. But why why are these things why are these things happening? And you you've got to start asking questions of the manager when that type of inconsistency just peaks, like. It's like week after week. It's like we're this team one week mm. and then we're another team, you know, the the next. It's because uh, because it was raining. 
<laughs> no, but no. it's funny you know i mean genuinely it's funny you say that because with a bamiang and sophie brought up a bamiang in particular i do feel he's he's very much uh uh he's very much uh nurture rather than nature he's so affected by external factors in his performance he talks about how he needs the crowd, and that's why you underperformed during the lockdown periods with no fans in the ground. The North London derby can get up for that because he's sitting there pre-kickoff going, if I score, I'm going to do that on re-celebration and it's going to go <laughs> wild. But up against Brighton on a cold night on the South Coast and living on the South Coast, I can tell you how blooming cold it gets. Genuinely, like it's, it is for me, when I saw Erdogan in the first 10 minutes you picked up on earlier, Owen, busting a gut and pressing in those as he has been, and Abamyang not copying him like he did copy him against the Spurs, I knew what type of game I was in for as soon as mm-hmm. that, that happened. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, uh, regarding Abamyang, uh, I absolutely agree with you. I think that he, he's the perfect conditions type of player, 100%. But going back to what Sophie was saying as well there about why is there a lack of consistency, and this isn't me providing an answer probably, but more questions, which is which is probably even more frustrating, but what I will say is that when you look at, let's say, Norwich, uh, Burnley, Spurs, and, and now Brighton, complete inconsistencies in our approach to how we play, I'm not going to get frustrated if the players break down, but during that North London derby, I saw exactly what I want to see. Play progressing not only in wide areas but through the centre of the park in variety, uh, pre-arranged patterns of play, playing in triangles, but plenty, plenty of movement off the ball, the ball moving nice and quick, one-two touch football, and that's just something that we're not even seeing being attempted on a weekly basis. And this is what I mean by consistency. When I say consistency, I don't care if we go really and and lose to Brighton every once in a while. But as long as we're trying to implement the same system and the right things, and unfortunately, turning around and saying we don't have the players, we don't have this, we don't have that, to to do that. Well, we obviously do, because regardless Mm. of the opponent, I'm sorry, but... 90% 90% of teams in the Premier League aren't getting close to you when you play those patterns of football in the manner we did against Tottenham. They just don't. And for me, that's the frustrating thing. And that's where I start to get frustrated, not only with Arteta, because I think Kevin Campbell always says this over, over on your channel, it's the players across the white line, regardless of what the, the manager says to you. And even Lee Dixon said this, um, on our podcast before as well, it's like half the time you don't even listen to the manager. You just say that, no, no worries, boss. Yeah, hundred percent. And I know that from playing football myself. You don't listen to them, and you do, you do really whatever you want. So I I'm think there's a, my team. <laughs> there's, there's a bit, of, there's a bit of an onus. I see you kick a ball, mate. Anyone would get in your team. Be brave. Don't be afraid to lose it. And I just feel that. I thought the, the leash was being loosened a little on our players, but I think at times they're maybe too shackled uh, and, and too punished. Uh, they're over-punished if they lose possession wastefully, wastefully in our quotes. Um, and I think that our tenant needs to loosen up and just give them a bit of freedom because I think that with the players that we have, Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, Pepe, Aubameyang, these are players that f- absolutely thrive off of freedom. And I think that you have to just push them out there and let them express themselves. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, we are going to take a second to say goodbye to Sophie. Uh, not from our lives, just from this uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, Sophie, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're really busy this evening, but I appreciate you taking the time. 
thank you very much. Uh, I uh, always uh, welcome the opportunity to come on your fantastic channel and chat. Always good to see Owen as well. And look, at the end of the day, there's still a long way to go this season, guys. Getting a point away against Brighton right now (laughs) is okay going into the international break. Had we lost that game, you know, you go into the international break feeling really blue about it. Um, We've got big games coming. We've got the Vieira derby next. We've got Leicester. We've got Villa. And there's been a lot of inconsistency in the league so far this season too. And this is where I feel Arteta really needs to like earn his crust a lot. How are you going to manage this team going forward? Are you going to be bold enough and brave enough to make tough choices? Are you going to be adaptable? Because if you're asking that of your players, then you also have to be that that manager uh, uh, your, yourself as well. And I think if if he can just let go a little bit and he can take that handbrake off, you know, who knows what this team can do. But he also has to be brave enough to drop Aubameyang. If he's not scoring, drop him. I don't care what he's earning. I don't care if he's captain. Those are the kinds of decisions I'd like to see him make as we're going forward. So until then, I'm out. See you later, So Thank <laughs> you. Have a good one. Of course, you can check out Sophie at the Highbury Squads and they'll be streaming this evening. So make sure you either tune in live or catch up on their show as well. Owen, we're going to take the last 10 minutes or so together to go through some questions from the chat. There's quite a few. So we're going to answer them alternatively and try and be... Uh, discreet that's the wrong word what's the word I want Uh, (laughs) condensed in our answers there we go discreet oh be discreet about this Um, Paul says Owen would uh, you agree we're still three players light left-sided defensive midfielder and two decent strikers yeah, a definite, if anything, options is the thing in the striking position for me. I do think that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is still a quality striker. If he can get a tune out of him, he's obviously proven that over, over his career. He's obviously hit a bit of a dry patch for numerous reasons last season. But I think what we really lack is is an op, a second option, a plan B. And I think that we've tried to morph Alexander Lacazette to be that plan B and, and force him to play a role that he isn't really naturally ready to play. Mm. Um, Nikolai Muller is somebody that we all thought could maybe come in and, and provide that, but I'm not sure um, regarding his development whether whether he'll be that. Um, no, it isn't. I know. Don't worry. I watch all your shows, buddy. I know that. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, I think the striking position is definitely a hundred percent somewhere that we need to target. And I think if anything, and here uh, I'll tell you to check out one of Tom's uh, pieces that he put out about the 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 potential absence of Saka showed us that we're maybe a little light in, in the wide areas too. Mm. Yeah, it's frightening if Saka was injured that we're down to Pepe, Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and two of those in Pepe and Martinelli you can't really count on consistently. So we'll, we would see what would happen there. Uh, Ritian says, Tom, do you think with Xhaka's injury we can see a midfield pivot apart here and make the Niles? What I mean is if you keep the guy, give him a chance just as a number six and release Partey. To be honest, after Partey's shooting, I don't want to see him released anywhere near the opposition but box. I was saying, do you know the way there's a, the, <laughs> the, the crowd scream a boom when Xhaka goes to... Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we, no, no, yeah. We, we should all, um, don't shoot. Don't shoot. 
For the love of good lords, please don't shoot. Don't shoot. Yeah, that's going to be the shout, 100%. Uh, let's scroll down, because I went back up the chat box to get some of our earlier questions that we missed. Let's scroll back down uh, and go to some of the more recent ones that have been thrown in. Chris P says, uh, hold on, did I even answer the question, or did you rudely interrupt me? <laughs> yeah. Would you play Maitland Niles? Would I play Maitland Niles? Sorry, Richie. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, know. I'd only play Rachel Niles in a right wing back role or as a sub coming on. That's the only time I would play him, personally. Uh, Owen Crispy, don't you think our defence should take some credit for keeping Brighton shots on target that low? Is that luck or a sound defensive display? Have your words, and I've got a thing on this as well. Yeah, well, look, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think in patches, it was both. I think that at times we were very fortunate Um well, you'd say unfortunate, but some last-ditch efforts from people, but it looked relatively unorganised at times. And then other times, it was the complete opposite. We looked absolutely solid. Um, one thing I will say is somebody that we're all overlooking, I think, is Gabriel is an absolute oh, mammoth sure. of a defender, man. He is he's, he's fantastic. It, it, you can sort of look at somebody, say, for example... Um, and I'm sorry to give everybody nightmares, but uh, Shad Gramastafi, whilst he was playing um, during, during his first 20-odd games when we went and beaten, he was a little bit fortunate. You can tell that's not the case with Gabriel. His body shape, his position, and everything is, is phenomenal. And again, mm. um, he's lost more teeth against Brighton than Spurs have won trophies. So, uh, oh, it's glorious. Mm-hmm. It's worth it, worth more in enamel than they have in silverware. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to Peter. He says, Should Albert? Oh, sorry, I said I was gonna have my thoughts on that. Um, on the chances thing for Brighton, the where I see it is that I think we limited them to what I remember being one or two really clear cut chances. One was the one that. Ramsdale exploded to stop uh, Neil Mope getting to the ball. And then the other one was uh, a header from Dan Byrne that went just over. He sailed that header so far. For someone who's six foot seven, he really should have been getting that down. There was another one where someone, and Ramsdale dropped it, but Ramsdale was fouled off the ball and it never would have counted. Can I throw, throw that over to you, actually? I know we're going yeah. through questions at the minute. Do you think that that... I don't like saying red card for stuff like that, but that was mm. extremely deliberate and extremely dangerous. I wasn't right and do it a lot. That. Someone mm. brought it up because they did it. Obviously, we know what happened with Leno and Mope. Someone brought it up in a chat saying they've seen Brighton use this tactic of really, phys- but being really physical with the goalkeepers. So it's something that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. But I don't know if it was red card worthy, but it, I think it was certainly a yellow card. Situation. He slammed into Ramsdale off the ball like it was ridiculous. So it never would have counted. So I don't count that as a clear cut chance because it wouldn't have counted had it have gone in. Um, Peter says, should Oba only be selected for games? Arteta knows that he'll be motivated for. This seems ridiculous, but there's actually some weight behind it. So what do you think about that? <laughs> it's yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. Do you want to know what? Um, in in his latter years, um, I'm starting to get the sense of. Do you know that like? I don't even like mentioning his name either, but Ozil syndrome, where where it's like hmm. the small teams is, is is sort of where he goes missing, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm not sure. Look, what I will say is, given our striking options and the investment that has been made in Depierre hmm. and Kamamiang, Alexander Lacazette can be beneficial, but I'm not sure that outweighs how prolific Aubameyang can be when he hits form. So I think that whereas neither really seemed like an absolutely fantastic option at the minute, Aubameyang is probably the better one. Uh, <laughs> Amandeep says, does Owen look like Mustafi? I said, no, yeah, <laughs> not at all. Me, buddy. 
dreadful. That's an awful shout. That's awful. I defend like him. <laughs> yeah. James Rose says, do you think Artera is willing to take advice from his assistants or are they just there to agree with him rather than suggest honest? The honest answer is, James, we have absolutely no idea what they're saying. Like, we have no idea. We can speculate. But we have no idea. a documentary, like a fly on Oh, the yes. Maybe in a year's time we can give you some more insight on that, James. But honest, the honest answer is we don't know. I, there's a lot of speculation. I think I've even gone as far as theorising that I think they're a bunch of yes men. But I don't know. Like, the honest answer is I don't. I honestly don't know. So there you go. Uh, Venkatesh says, do you guys still believe Arteta is trying to implement Pep's style because we don't play with high intensity or press high, but every time we lose to City, Pep says he's proactive with his... Well, Pep just defends his mate. That's what Pep does. <laughs> I, I do see pressing. Like I saw it against Spurs. Erdogan's a great example of someone that will press nonstop as long as he has a little bit of encouragement and sees other players in his team actually following suit, as we saw against Brighton. They didn't, so he stopped. But I feel like there is... I feel like there is, you know, that that classic uh, pressing. I also think what we saw against Spurs, I saw a lot of Man City style in the Spurs game and in the tactical analysis I did with Josh Williams, our tactics writer at Football London and Reach, he he went into a lot of detail about how he saw a lot of peps. And he's a scouser, he's a Liverpool fan, so he, he has no affiliation to Arsenal at all. But he said that he could see it. He could see Pep style in what we try to do. Um, but what what do you think, I? Yeah, see, this is this is something that I sort of briefly well I touched on earlier, which is really frustrating, and that's that there's a lack of consistency in the styles. You know, like you mentioned earlier, we'll go back to that FA Cup uh, winning run where you could say that he was playing like a Tony Pulis type football, mm. really defensive and negative. And then you look at Spurs, where it was. City-esque, that's what it was. It was the fantastic pass and move, high press and football. And that's the frustrating thing with me is that to breed consistency, you need to have a consistent approach. And and for me, there has been no consistent approach in the system. And I'm repeating myself, but like I mentioned earlier, I have no problem watching minor failures when you're mm. persistent with a system that you're trying to implement over time. But for me, that's Arteta's biggest problem thus far. And whether that's down to um, an inconsistency in the players that he's had available to him or, or mm. any other factors. But for me, we, we have a seemingly fit and healthy squad now, barring Granit Xhaka. And um, once we'll come back with some some decent little games that we could you know, really start to implement and bed down a system to portray to the fans and try and instill some confidence. Because for me, there has to be consistency now. No, I agree with you. Um, last couple of questions that we're going to wrap up. Alistair Bruns says, uh, Arteta doesn't fancy Balogun in the starting lineup. I see this a lot. I honestly don't think there's any manager that would come in and replace Arteta that starts Balogun in their first game. I really don't think anyone does. So I know that we all want Balogun to be the next big thing and succeed, but the fact of the matter is he's fourth choice striker behind Aubameyang, Lacazette and Nketiah right now. And until Nketiah and Lacazette go at the end of this season... I don't really see him getting a look in. And we look like we're probably going to sign a striker. Uh, he may then become second choice after Aubameyang leaves, but that's, he's, tw he's what, 20 still? Mm. I think people are putting way too much emphasis on these kids. But I know that we've got a lot of kids are doing quite well with Saka and Smith-Rowe and Laconga all 21 and under. And you've got players like Tavares who's 21 and <laughs> you've got Balogun who's 20 and Ketia 21. We've got a lot of kids in mm -hmm. our team. Um, and I know that means we put a lot of emphasis on on them, but you need to remember that if you really look at the teams up the league, like and I talked about this on this morning show, teams don't really play with more than two 21 and under players, if that, really. 
Um, so to be saying that another one should be starting and then expecting us still to achieve the top six is, I really think, far-fetched. Here's one, Aldo, Stephen, um, jump in on, on that mm, one. Sure. And it's funny because for the first time in a long time, I look at the starting 11 and if anybody in the chat has any um, uh, recommendations for this, I'd definitely like to hear them. But go through our starting 11 now that we've seen, let's say, uh, Aaron Ramsdale, Tommy Asu, uh, Gabriel, Ben White, Tierney, um, Lukonga, Slashaka, Partey, Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard and Aubameyang. Who, who, who do you want to come in and replace one of those players now? And that's well, we the good... Aubameyang to be replaced. Aubameyang, 100%. Xhaka, yeah. we probably want to be replaced. And they're but, the two. And they're the yeah. two experienced players. <laughs> but, 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 but apart from them, apart mm. from them two players, which I think everybody would pick, tough, I, they would be, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing now, and this is the thing with uh, Balogun, this is something that I have sort of retrained my brain this season for, even with players that have come in. Don't get too loyal with players and expect a path to be forced for them. Because if we sign somebody that can double the output that Balligan has, and I know this might sound harsh, I don't really care where Balligan goes or how his career goes. If it's for yeah. the benefit of Arsenal Football Club and points on the board and, and, and better in our first team, I've got no allegiances to any player in particular. No, no, absolutely not. I, I say this all the time. If you've got a chance to upgrade on someone, you do it. You absolutely... Like I said, I think it was someone about um, Bikai Saka, like, or like, or Martinelli was a big one. Like, if you have a chance to... I, we talked about this morning with the, the Sterling links. Sterling walked straight into our team. Oh, yeah. There is no doubt in my mind Sterling walked straight into the left-wing position in our team. Saka on the right-hand side, Erdogan or Smith throw in the middle, and then one of our strikers up top. Sterling walked straight in, and yet still... People are going, no, don't want him, not good enough. Like, what are you, what? <laughs> what it's are insane. You like, it's insane. It's, it's ridiculous to the standard. That I, I know that people would say that we've lost our way with standards and what's our standard anymore. But you need to be real. You need to mm -hmm. be, we, where, where are we right now? We are back-to-back -back eighth place. And we're ifing and erring about a guy that's won the Premier League title play and scored, what, 40-something goals in one season or 31 goals in one season for City. Like, are we really going to, are we really going to be like, what? Um, <laughs> obviously, it comes down to price. If he's a, if you can get him, go get him for 50 million or whatever. Yes, you're getting a player that's going to be turning 27, 50 million quid is an England international Premier League experience and he scores goals. Like, and the thing is, you probably wouldn't even want to come here. So I don't know why debate at the end of the day. Anyway, I'm very conscious of the time because I'm going to be jumping over there with the boys on the Arsenal Lounge in a few minutes. So we are going to wrap things up there. Please do make sure that you do join me, jump over to the Arsenal Lounge uh, straight after this show finishes. But Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show as it always is. And I'm very much looking forward to meeting you in the flesh for the first time in a couple of weeks. Don't worry, you'll regret it. <laughs> Well, I thought that about Mike. So if the trend continues, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it, buddy. It'll be good to good to socially distance, shake your hand, and, and have a pint in person finally. So elbows. looking elbows. forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> all about the elbows out. and fist bumps. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. Um, we're going to be about for the Villa game. So if you go into the Villa game, say hello. We'll probably be about somewhere. So uh, you'll be able to see my Mustafi look-alike friend uh, <laughs> at the pub prior to kickoff. Anyway, thank you so much, guys. 
guys for tuning in. Please do drop a like on today's video if you've enjoyed it and subscribe to the channel if you're new around here. Do go check out Owen on the Gunas podcast and do check out Sophie on the Highbury squad as well. We will see you tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. for the 8.30. I forgot what time I do my shows. At 8 a.m. for the next morning show. But other than that, stay well, stay safe. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.